Uh, good morning. My name is Derek. It's my privilege to be the lead pastor here, and uh, we are going to jump into God's Word as, as you've been with us. We are in a series of messages we're calling Better Together as we teach through uh, the book in your Bible called 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written by a church leader named Paul to a group of, uh, of Christians, followers of Jesus, in a town called Corinth. This letter is written about 2,000 years ago. But uh, the Corinthians are people that we can relate to. The, the Corinthians are people that have some questions. The Corinthians are some people that mess up occasionally. The Corinthians are some people that are a little confused about what's important and are dividing over things that are not important. And, um, and so we believe by the power of God, uh, through his spirit, through his word, that uh, this letter written a couple thousand years ago to the Corinthians is absolutely uh, helpful to us today. So um, we're asking God to show us how we can be better together as followers of Jesus, how we are better together, better united in Christ. Uh, and so last week, um, and you're welcome to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll, I'll get there in just a minute here, but uh, you're welcome to get your Bibles open. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about this. We, we wondered this question because the text really caused us to ask this question. Is the gospel, is the good news of Jesus foolishness? And we don't really think so. We're, most of us that come to the church that are, are followers of Jesus and, and, and have found there to be great uh, power in God's plan of rescuing us through the cross of Christ. And so we may not think it's foolishness, but the, for the Corinthians, the culture around the Corinthians thought it sounded ridiculous, thought it sounded like foolishness. And maybe that's what we experience a little bit today with people around us trying to figure out what the deal with some guy who, who died 2,000 years ago has to do with us. It's foolishness. It sounds crazy. And so maybe the gospel is foolishness. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, it said, uh, it said this in chapter 1, verse 21, that God used the folly of what Paul preached, the foolishness of what Paul preached. God used that to rescue people from sin and death. And chapter 1, verse 25, says that God's foolishness is wiser than men. So, so Paul's using some, some irony there. Is the gospel foolishness? Well, yes, no. God's foolishness is wiser than men. So if God's foolishness is wiser than men, then actually the cross, the message of Christ, is the, the wisdom of God, this wisdom that far surpasses what you and I could think of. So if you've been with us for the last few weeks as we started this letter, hasn't Paul been tough on wisdom? It seems like he's kind of making fun of wisdom. He's kind of tough on it. Should you be seeking wisdom? But here's what the deal is. He's been hard on the Corinthians or on you and I if we're seeking wisdom just for wisdom's sake or if we're seeking worldly wisdom or if we're seeking to gain knowledge that will somehow puff us up and make us better than others so we can distinguish ourselves from those that are not as smart, not as wise. That's what Paul's been hard on. And yet, today's passage makes it clear that Paul is not opposed to true wisdom, to genuine wisdom. Paul's not opposed. He, he just wants to help us this morning, I think, in this morning's passage, make sure that we know where to find true wisdom. That the gospel is not foolishness, that the gospel is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That Christ crucified is not foolishness, but God's incredible 
wisdom. And how do we know this wisdom? How do we find God's wisdom? Today's passage is going to walk us through this. That true wisdom comes only to those who know God's heart, who know God's mind through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. So open your Bibles. If you haven't already, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 6 in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, love you to bring your Bibles with you, open them in front of you, keep your finger in the text, we say, because we want to hear from God as we gather together each Sunday. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 6, and I'm going to read through the whole passage first, and then we'll pray and ask God to show us what he has for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. Remember where we pick up here. Paul's just saying, hey, I don't preach with worldly wisdom. I didn't preach just with fancy words. My preaching, the message that Paul was teaching these early Christians was of the cross, focusing on the cross. And and his preaching was about power of the spirit, not just fancy worldly wisdom. So that's where we're kind of picking up. Chapter two, verse six. Yet... He says, Paul says, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So even if it seems like he's been hard on wisdom, he's saying, no, our message has included wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." Father God, as we continue to study your word, as we keep our finger in the text, as we ask you to show us how we can grow in you and how we as a church family can be increasingly united as we focus on the cross, on who Jesus is and what he's done, and as we um, know that true wisdom comes as, as you reveal it by your spirit. So God, we want to hear from you this morning. Through your word. Thank you for teaching us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we continue in our passage, we look back through our passage now. We'll go back to the beginning, back to verse 6. There are, we're going to see that there are those who are destined to receive the wisdom of God. 
There are those that, that are going to be understanding and, and, and gain spiritual insight and understand God's wisdom and his plans for, for the world. And there are those that cannot perceive it. God's wisdom designed to bring believers to him, designed to bring believers to, into, into his glory, is, is also hidden and, and, and misunderstood and not understood by some. Look back at verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. There's, uh, you, you see the words there, this, this, what's going on in verse 7? What is it that he's saying? he's saying is a secret and hidden wisdom of God? Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses the word mystery about, uh, about the unfolding of God's plan. There's, there's multiple places where Paul refers to this mystery, and he's referring to the unfolding of God's great plan, the plan that is revealed from front to back in the Bible in your lap, of God rescuing a people for himself, that he has set about a plan that all of his purposes are to rescue a people for himself, a people that will bring him glory. And, and Paul has referred to this as a mystery. Not, not that it's mysterious, not that it's intended intentionally uh, secretive, but, but he refers to it as a mystery because there are aspects of God's plan, his rescue plan, that have been hidden uh, from being understood in past generations. And now, as, as the New Testament is written, he is saying, this is now being revealed. This mystery of God, this unfolding of his rescue plan is being revealed by God. And yet, some perceive, some hear, some have hearts that are receptive and some do not. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. So perhaps these leaders who had condemned Jesus to death didn't understand God's plan, and therefore they didn't know what they were doing in rejecting Jesus. Verse 8 continues. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, and right here Paul quotes, adapts, uh, a verse from Isaiah 64. What no eye has seen, no, no, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In those first couple lines, in other words, the things of the eternal God, the things of God, the majesty of God, the understanding of God, the wisdom of God is inaccessible to mortal man, to, to, to mere humans. This, this is not something that we hear or see or perceive Except, where the passage continues, verse 10. Except by the power of the Spirit. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Faith Church family, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God, God himself, living within you. We believe in what we call a triune God. One God in three persons, three persons in one God. Blows your mind, not understandable by human understanding, but a God three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And the Bible teaches clearly that if you surrender your life to Jesus, if you've come to the end of yourself, if you realize you can't save yourself, if you realize you don't match up to the, to the, the righteousness of a, of a holy and perfect God, if we come to that and we surrender ourselves and we entrust our lives to Jesus saying, I can't do it on my own, Jesus, I need you, I believe who you are, who you say you are, and that I need you to rescue me. We put our life in, in God's hands. We receive God's free gift of salvation by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that the Spirit of God, God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes to live within us. And so this is something that happens at the time of, of putting our trust in Christ. When we are converted, when we are truly, when our heart is changed, when God rescues us and calls us out of sin and death and into his light and into his life, we receive the Spirit of God. And, and, and as the Spirit of God is in our lives now, as followers of Jesus, he is, he, is, uh, there, he is helping, He is teaching, He is guiding, He is transforming us from the inside out, giving us a new heart, a new mind, and new attitudes. We have not only been rescued uh, from sin and death and brought into eternal life with God, but we are being made new. We are being made into a new person by the work of the Spirit within us. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about the work of the Spirit in our life. But remember, who is this letter written to? This letter is written to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians were divided. They were taking sides. They were separating themselves and trying to align themselves with certain human leaders. And you're, if you're with that human leader, I'm better than you because I'm aligned with this human leader. And these Corinthians were divided. They were taking sides. They were separating themselves. And, and we need to make sure that we know that we have these tendencies too if we're not careful. To divide over, to divide over uh, certain causes or, or to, to make one thing more important than the other or to make ourselves feel more important or more right or more correct than others. We have this tendency too. And so the beginning of this letter, 1 Corinthians, has been an appeal to unity. It's God appealing to followers of Jesus in Corinth 2,000 years ago and to us today. It's God appealing to us through the Apostle Paul to unity to look for unity, to strive for unity, to come together because we're better together, because we're better together united in Jesus. And so this section is giving some ways that we can achieve unity. In the last two weeks, we've talked about focusing on the cross, that one thing that will help us as followers of Jesus find unity in Jesus is to focus on the cross of Christ, who Jesus is and what was accomplished on the cross. And when that is our, our focus, and when that is what we unite on, then, then, then some of the divisiveness is, is reduced, and we see each other for brothers and sisters in Christ and find unity. And the second one, then, this second method that now the passage is walking us through of finding unity is to recognize that true wisdom comes by the Spirit, that there is worldly wisdom to be found, that there are things we strive after, that there are things we think we're adding to our knowledge and puffing ourselves up and making us understanding and making ourselves better than others, but that true wisdom comes as the Spirit of God reveals it to us. And that is another thing that will then draw us together in unity as we seek true wisdom from the Spirit of God, as we are all, as followers of Jesus, if we are, we are indwelled by the Spirit, and if we are listening together to the Spirit, and the Spirit is transforming us from the inside out, then also collectively, 
We will be hearing those same things and finding unity in that. So, recapping, where are we at here? Believers in Jesus, those who have been rescued by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, have the Spirit of God living within them. And the Spirit reveals true wisdom. God reveals his true wisdom through the Spirit's work in our lives. So let's keep going in the passage now and hear what Paul says next. He's going to explain how uh, believers are given understanding, how followers of Jesus, those who have been who've given their lives to Jesus, find understanding and why others are left out. Uh, pick it up with me in uh, kind of the middle of verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Sorry, backing up. Yeah, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So, so verse 10 is telling us that the Spirit searches the depths of God that the Spirit of God comprehends the thoughts of God. And elsewhere in Scripture, Romans 8, 27 tells us that the Spirit also searches human hearts. Another role of the Holy Spirit is searching the human heart. And so here, if you, can, if you put these two together, imagine what's going on here. The, among the roles of the Holy Spirit are searching the depths of God and understanding the mind of God, the ways of God, the thoughts of God. And if the Spirit also, indwelling us that are followers of Jesus, searches the human heart and understands what we think and what we need and what we perceive, the Spirit is then what can bring those two things together, what can help my human heart understand God's ways and what brings God's ways into my heart and life. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but we have the spirit who is from God. We have God himself living within us. That, look at the end of verse 12. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. True spiritual wisdom True spiritual understanding is revealed to those who have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit reveals to us, verse 12 says, then because of the Spirit, we can understand the things given us by God. So it's because of the Spirit's work in our lives that we can understand who Jesus is, that we can recognize him, not just as some guy who died 2,000 years ago, but as the Son of God, the promised rescuer, the one who's come to save us from sin and death and hell. True wisdom reveals that to us. True wisdom through the Spirit reveals who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross because the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That those who entrust themselves to Jesus find new life. That Jesus lived the life we can't, died the death we deserve, and was raised to life to show us that in him we too can have new life. And so this is the message that Paul is proclaiming, that the ministry of Paul, that the, that the New Testament, that the Bible proclaims, that we as a church family proclaim this gospel, this good news for all people, that God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us stuck in our sin, but that he pursues us through, the, through his son, that he comes to rescue and save. 
And that's the message that Paul is proclaiming, verse 13. And we, he says, impart this message in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Last week, we talked about the fact that the gospel is preached to all, that God wants the good news to go forth to all, to the ends of the earth, that he wants to use you and I to be conduits of his love to the people around us, that he wants us to not just build relationships with them, but ultimately become proclaimers of the gospel through our words and deeds, but also our words. He wants to use you and I to be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel, interpreting spiritual truths, and and by the power of the Spirit, people will perceive and, and come to faith in God. Last week, we talked then about the importance of the gospel being preached to all people, but those who are called, those who God uh, is calling to be his children, who is calling into his family then, the calling is behind the gospel being preached, and the spirit of God makes it comprehensible to human hearts. To those who are called, the spirit makes the gospel comprehensible. While unbelievers do not have the spiritual capacity to understand the things of God. The next couple of verses confirm uh, and, and extend this line of thinking here. Let's keep going. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And one thing that's really interesting about this passage, and one thing that we need to be really careful with about the wording here, is this is not talking about levels of spirituality. This is not talking about Christians that are more mature than others. This is not talking about Christians who kind of have some extra and extra spiritual insight and understanding versus some lowly Christians. This is not a distinguishing, this, these last couple of verses I read are, are not talking about levels of spirituality. Or, or some that have more understanding than others. That's actually going to come in the next chapter. There is some in the next chapter alluding to those that are more spiritually mature, that are Christians but are more spiritually mature, and those that are still Christians, that are true followers of Jesus, but, but needing to grow. But that's not the, dis, dis, uh, the distinguishing factor here. Here, in this passage, the difference is between believer in Jesus and non-believer. It's the difference between a Christian, a true Christian, and someone who is not a Christian. The difference here is that there are those who are spirit-indwelled, that the Spirit of God lives within and is teaching them and transforming them, and there are those without the Spirit's presence. Believer, Unbeliever, Christian, non-Christian, spirit-indwelled, lacking the Spirit's presence. And, and, and what, what do we see in a life, in a Christian life, indwelled by the Spirit? And this is a question that I've heard posed by other Christian leaders, but I'll pose it to us this morning. Does my life, let's, let's ask ourselves this, does my life demand a gospel explanation. In other words, is there something about the way that I live? Is there something about who I am and who I am becoming and the, and the things that I do and say? Are there things in my life that demand a gospel explanation? In other words, the only way that clown could be doing that 
is because of the power of God at work within him. Is there things about our life that go, that doesn't make sense because for a decade he was enslaved to darkness and sin, true of me, but rescued by the grace and mercy of our great God through Jesus Christ? Is there something in my life, my transformation from being a rebellious sinner, rejecting God to living for him in all that I do, not perfectly, but striving by his grace and power? Is there something in my life, is there something in your life that demands a gospel explanation that the only possible way they could be like that is because they have, they have been, God has rescued them through Jesus and put the spirit of God within them and to transform them? Do, do our lives demand a gospel explanation? And if you're not sure... And if you're not sure if you're spirit indwelled, and if you're not sure that the spirit of God lives within you, and if you're not sure your life demands a gospel explanation, then I want you to find salvation in Jesus Christ this morning. That that you can't do it on your own, that you don't match up, that you can't save yourself, that there's no way you're going to add up enough brownie points with God to get into heaven someday. That apart from him, we are a disaster and stuck in our sin. And we instead surrender our lives and say, I can't do it. Lord Jesus, save me. We give our lives to Jesus. We receive God's free gift of salvation. And as a result of being changed, as a result of God changing our heart from dead to alive, in that process of being saved from sin and death and crossing from darkness to light, we receive the Holy Spirit of God within us. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to him, you have the spirit of God. Attending church once in a while, having heard the good news of Jesus before, reading your Bible once a year, those are are not things that assure you of receiving God the spirit living within you. Putting our faith in Jesus for salvation is how the spirit becomes active in our life and helps us live a life that is pleasing to God. So this is critical. As we're striving to unity and as the Apostle Paul is asking us to focus on the cross and find true wisdom and that true wisdom is revealed to us by the Spirit, then church family, we need the Spirit. We need God the Spirit in our lives and actively working in our lives. And the first step to get there is to submit your life to Jesus and find life in him. So if you haven't done that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if that sounds of interest to you, I'd love to talk to you more about that. And then, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, that have submitted our lives to Jesus, it's interesting because Ephesians 5 talks about the importance of, it's a letter to Christians, and it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So now, no, don't misunderstand here. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've submitted your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, period. So be careful that I'm not talking about a second baptism of the Spirit. I'm not talking about needing to pray and get more Spirit power, because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you submit your life to Jesus and you become a Christian, you receive the Spirit of God, period. With me? 
And yet Ephesians 5 is written to Christians and says, be filled with the Spirit. And so Paul seems to be saying, and the Bible seems to teach, does teach, I believe, that there are ways that a, that a Christian who is already indwelled by the Spirit of God does have opportunity to be more filled with the Spirit, to be more um, under control of the Spirit. Instead of being drunk on wine, be filled by the Spirit, the Bible says. And so how does that happen in the Christian life? And one of my mentors would talk about, you've perhaps heard this from me before, one of my mentors would talk about putting ourselves in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. And so I'm gonna pretend this part of the stage is a hallway, right? And if this hallway is, a, is so to speak, is a place where the Holy Spirit of God is active, I am a follower of Jesus. I have the Spirit of God living within me already, period, done, got it? And yet I also have this opportunity to put myself in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active so that I can be more filled by the Spirit, so that I can live by the Spirit, so that I can be transformed by the Spirit, so that I can, so that I can uh, grow and, and, and become more of what God has for me. And so these hallways are the things that you would expect. The Word of God, the Bible, is a hallway where the Holy Spirit is active. We know that the Bible was, was written by God as the Holy Spirit carried along the men who put the pen to paper. Are you with me? So the Word is a hallway where the Holy Spirit is active. And as we put ourselves in the Word, we put ourselves in a place where we can be filled by the Spirit. Prayer. Do we know from Romans 8 that, in, that when we talk to God in prayer, that the Holy Spirit of God intercedes for us with the Father? We just talked in our passage about the Spirit searching our hearts and searching God's hearts and so then kind of helping us connect those two. So as we put ourselves in prayer there and we're in a hallway where the Spirit is active. Community, living life with other followers of Jesus where the Spirit of God can speak to us through our fellow Christians and then using our spiritual gifts. Followers of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit of God, and one of the things that comes with being a follower of Jesus is a spiritual gift, or perhaps more than one spiritual gift, a supernatural empowerment that is that God has given you to use for his glory and for the good of others. And we're going to get to talk a ton more about spiritual gifts later in this letter, because chapters 12, 13, 14 uh, are largely about the spirit at work in us and our spiritual gifts and how our spiritual gifts are a blessing to the family of God. So using your spiritual gifts is another place where you put yourself in a hallway where the Holy Spirit is active. And I think these are the things that we wanna do as followers of Jesus. Yes, receive God's gift of salvation first and foremost and be indwelled by the spirit. And then as we follow Jesus and as we desire to live for him, then we want to continue to grow and continue to be changed and be led by the Spirit. Not, not just kind of, I got into the Christian club and I'm good enough and now I'm doing it all on my own strength and trying hard to be a good person. No, I'm rescued from sin and death by Jesus and now I want to submit myself to Jesus and, and put, surrender myself to the work of the Holy Spirit so that I might be changed and made new more and more like Jesus until Jesus returns. 
So that's why Faith Church exists, is to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to help other people find life in Jesus. And so we say sometimes that, it, that there's, there's lots of ways to participate in our church family. There's lots of ways, that, things that we think are important, that we want to help you with, that we, want, that we believe will help you to grow in Jesus. But if we had to list just three quick ones, we'd say worship on Sunday mornings, join together with the larger church family so that we can worship and pray and hear the gospel. Two, we would urge you to be in a life group. Connect yourself to a group of people within our church family who, who can know you and you can know them. And the third thing would be to serve. Use your gifts. Serve the body. Worship on Sundays. Join a life group and serve. Um, if you are already in a life group, if you're already connected to a group of people in our church family, awesome. Make sure that you're in touch with your leaders and, and, and if, if you've been off for a little period in the summer, where things are getting underway now in the fall and groups are jumping back in, so connect with your leader. If you are not in a life group, let us help you connect to one. There's a handout that looks like the screen in your bulletin uh, and you can fill that out and let us know how we can help you find a growth group for you. Because why, why are these things available? Why do we gather as a church family? Um, why attend church? Why join a life group? Why does Faith Church want to help you grow spiritually and take the next step in your journey with Jesus? Because our passage, as we wrap up our passage here, because our passage differentiates between two types of people. Natural, natural people we just read about that are pursuing mere wisdom, worldly wisdom, and those people consider the cross foolishness some dead guy 2,000 years ago doesn't apply to me. They do not have the spirit of God. They cannot understand true wisdom. Our passage differentiates between natural and spiritual. In other words, those without the spirit and those with the spirit. Those that are true followers of Jesus and those who are not. The spiritual person is seeking to know God and discovering that true wisdom comes through the spirit. And therefore, as the Spirit of God impresses the truth upon our hearts, we recognize the glorious truth, the glorious good news of salvation through Jesus Christ because of his death on the cross and his victory over death, his resurrection. And so now as we're being transformed, true wisdom is helping us apply the gospel to every area of life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God transforming you from the inside out, and we have the spirit helping us understand true wisdom, and true wisdom is applying the good news of Jesus to every area of our life. That is true wisdom, is the ability to apply the glorious good news of what God has done for us through Jesus into our daily lives and how that means we live it out. Verse 16, it'll be on the screen for you, the way our passage closed. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? No one. In other words, people have, uh, we are unable to comprehend the truths of God. But because this passage has taught us, because of the indwelling spirit of God, we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, if there are ways that we are divided, if there are ways that we are striving to separate ourselves or make ourselves better or go our own way, we confess that to you this morning. God, as you wrote this letter to the Corinthians who 
who were aligning themselves with certain human leaders over others. God, help us to see where we, as followers of Jesus, are too worried about distinguishing ourselves. And instead, God, would you bring us unity? Would you remind us that we are better, better together? And as we've studied from your word in, recent, in these last couple of weeks, God, would you help us to find unity as we focus on the cross of Christ and as we know that true wisdom comes by the Spirit. So God, as we lift our voices in song and as the ushers come to receive our gifts this morning and as we come to you in prayers, God, I pray that we would recognize our, our total need for you. God, I pray that we would throw ourselves at your feet, whether for the first time or whether again, God, would we just surrender ourselves to you, desiring not to live by our own strength, or by worldly wisdom, but God, surrendering ourselves to you, receiving salvation, receiving your spirit living within us. And God, teach us to put ourselves in hallways where the spirit is active. Help us to be disciplined in coming to you by reading your word and spending time in prayer and living in Christian community and using our spiritual gifts God, not so that we would get the glory or not so that we would look better than others, but so we would be filled with the Spirit and be increasingly honoring to you. Our lives would be increasingly pleasing to you. Our hearts and minds would be increasingly transformed into the image of Christ. We give ourselves to you this morning and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.